My racing career isn't just about me. It's about the team, the fans, the sponsors, the families, the tracks, the whole sport. Join us over the next five months on the Junior Nation Appreciation Tour, where we show appreciation to where it's owed. This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. I was happy for Dad after it was over and he had won, but I don't like to finish second. This is the Daytona 500, and thank God! It's an accomplishment that we'll not forget. There's a lot of satisfaction in winning the championship. Jeff Gordon out of turn number four. He will lay claim to his first ever Winston Cup victory, and it comes in the Coca-Cola 600. Rick Hendrick, uh, hope I'm with you for a long time. At the end of the day, you still want to see a lot of people in those stands. I am history. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Back in the day, with Steve Richards and Ron LeMasters. NASCAR history is a rich tapestry of speed, personality, and great racing. Here at Back in the Day, we celebrate that history by keeping it alive, just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. did on the original TV show. We'll take important dates, races, and trends in NASCAR and pass them along to you. Here comes Back in the Day from the Exalta Studio inside Junior Motorsports. In many ways, 2001 was a year most of us remember, and mostly for the wrong reasons. The first year of the new millennium brought heartache to NASCAR in February and absolute horror and pain to the country in September. Most were happy to see the calendar flip from 2001 to 2002. Not that we'll forget either of the epic moments just mentioned, but it was good to have a new year that would hopefully be better and less painful than 2001. As Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s career as a full-time NASCAR Cup Series driver heads to the finish line, What better place to visit than Talladega Super Speedway, where Dale Jr. was king for parts of three seasons and undoubtedly the best restrictor plate racer of his generation. In 2004, he tried to explain why that was. The top two uh, most important things when you come here is the body on the car and the engine. Hell, the chassis could could be uh, stock, you know, and probably still get around here you know, could be a unibody and still get around here just as good. It really doesn't take a lot of God-given talent to get around the racetrack by yourself. I think when you throw yourself out there with the rest of the pack, certain situations can get the best of you, whether um, it's, uh, in a, you know, whether you lose your temper or mentally you're, there's just too much going on to comprehend. But you just try to, you know, you got to be mentally tough when you're out there three wide in the middle of the pack to try to control your car and keep it going where the other guys aren't so y'all don't run into each other eventually. And uh, there's a couple times, I guess, where you got to make some pretty good decisions. But, uh, I mean, mo- most of the credit goes to, uh, you know, the ability of the car to be able to do those things. I, I mean, if I'm mashing the gas and I'm not getting anything out of it, I can't look like magic, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, it takes a race car to be able to do a lot of the things we've been doing here the last several years. From the fall of that terrible year, 2001, all the way through 2002 and the first race in 2003, no other driver went to victory lane at the massive 2.66-mile speedway. In 2004, he got back to victory lane again in the fall race. From then, however, he had a slight speed bump, not winning again until the spring race in 2015. It was a victory that brought back memories of his father. I think about all the races he won here and at Daytona, and I love when we go to victory lane because I just feel like I add to his legacy there. All I ever want to do is make him proud, and I feel like that when we win at those tracks where he was successful, that's exactly what we're doing. So um, I don't really get to think about him that much. His birthday came and went, but uh, when we won today, I just uh, made me think about his birthday and how much I miss him and um, how much he meant to me and, and 
and so many more people that I that I can't even fathom the number of folks that, that he had a relationship with and a sport and a connection with and all those fans out there. No matter the long dry spell at Talladega, he's still the driver that will bring the fans to their feet like no other, unless that other was his father, Dale Earnhardt Sr. When Junior makes a move to the front, you can see the crowd poised to leap. And when he's in the wind and leading the pack, they don't sit down. There is not another race on the circuit that the fans are as pumped and as jacked up as they are for the whole duration of the race. I mean, every lap you run, there's people with their arms in the air. And uh, this is the only place you'll go to where you'll see that all, the, all day long. And I love it. Such is the power of being Dale Jr. in Alabama. The producer of Back in the Day, Steve Richards, has been there for many of Dale Jr.'s triumphs at Talladega through his duties as a broadcaster for the Performance Racing Network. You'll hear plenty of sound from Dega and plenty of stories. But first, let's take a look at 2001. Florida, center field, the Diamondbacks are world champions. The Arizona Diamondbacks beat the New York Yankees to win the World Series in seven games. Dilfer's pitch to Lewis, left side, going for the end zone. Lost the football, no, the official says touchdown. The Baltimore Ravens topped the New York Giants to win the Super Bowl. Polaroid, once one of the benchmark stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, files for bankruptcy protection. Today we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. Nearly 3,000 people were killed in the September 11th terror attacks in New York, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania. Others who left us included Dale Earnhardt and Blaze Alexander from Motorsports, former Beatle George Harrison, blues man John Lee Hooker, and guitar legend Chet Atkins, and actors Jack Lemmon and Carol O'Connor. Steve, Talladega might as well be named Earnhardt Speedway for all the success the family's had there. Dale Jr. has six victories there. Dale Sr. won ten times, including his 76th and last cup victory in the fall of 2000. Yeah, I don't think anybody will ever forget that 2000 race where Dale came from way back in the pack to win with only a handful of laps to go. And actually, it was, you know, Kenny Wallace who helped him along the way. And uh, that was just an amazing, amazing feat. Anyone was there or anyone who watched that race was just amazed at what happened at Talladega that day. And here was Dale Earnhardt in victory lane, courtesy of our fine folks over at MRN. Well, this big Earnhardt smile tells it all but where in the world did you come from 15th on that last restart i was very lucky i, I was very frustrated a lot but very lucky uh, i kept working the, the outside and it didn't work got three wide didn't work so i started working the middle and I, I knew i had to pass those guys on the inside i kept working the middle i kept working the middle and finally it started moving and uh and then kenny wallace got behind us and boy when kenny got behind us we started to the front and we just kept working away there and working away there and we finally got it to the front and kenny hung on i you know, he's going to try to make a move down the back straightaway, but I kept moving, and he just couldn't really run and make a run on me. And um, it worked out, and then he stuck with me through the one, uh, three and four and back to the line. And I was, I was proud to make old Richard uh, Schwartz here a, a millionaire. He's he's uh, worked awful hard all his life, and uh, he deserves it. And uh, Winston's awful good about putting this thing together. And I've, I've been involved in a couple no bull fouls and uh, never won ones. It's pretty unique to win one. That was a cool program back then, Ron. That's right. There was no bull about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was fun to see a, a person be made a millionaire. Right. Um, and, you know, and I, I often wonder, a lot of people got made millionaires because of those noble fives. Yeah. I wonder how many are still millionaires. I don't know. That'd be interesting to, uh, to look up. I think basically if you win it like that, it's more meaningful than buying a lottery ticket. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you actually get to shake Dale's hand. Can you believe Dale Earnhardt? If Dale Earnhardt won you a million dollars, can you believe that? That's right. Could, he'd could be you a, believe that? He'd be asking for a cut. No, I'm just <laughs> no, 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 he no. would. Um, and, and he'd probably well, pay the taxes for that's you. Right. <laughs> that's the way kind of guy he was. <laughs> well, see, the interesting thing is, too, he loved doing that. Yeah. I mean, we, there was a press conference around one of those. I think it might have been at Talladega mm-hmm. when he was talking about how, how cool it was because, you know, he he had to struggle and struggle and struggle to make his first million. Yeah. Now he, you know, somebody uh, enters a contest and, and you get there and the luck of the draw and everything else. And you hand somebody a check for a million dollars. That's gotta be a great feeling. Yeah. In 2002, Dale Jr. Said that he wasn't surprised that his dad came back to win that race. Well, not really. It's, it's so with the, uh, with the new arrow package, it was very easy to get those large gains on other people. And he had, he had a good, a good race car behind him. Kenny Wallace driving uh, was driving an excellent race car. That car was one of the faster cars in, in practice and qualifying, and he had somebody pushing him, and uh, that's what you need. And if a guy will stay with you, you can go wherever you want to go. Uh, we had that same situation a couple times during the race, and uh, you could pass uh, up to 20 cars a lap uh, if you made the right decisions or made the right calls, and Dad did. I mean, he worked on it the last eight laps to get back up there. You know, 18 spots in eight laps. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched it just like everybody else with my jaw hanging open. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny Wallace really deserves a lot of credit for that. And he, you know, people say, why didn't you pass? Why didn't you try to pass him? He's, he told me, I've known Kenny since he was a rookie in ASA in 1986. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm not going to pass Dale Sr. on the last lap at Talladega, you know, because he pushed him to get up there. He he's, he kind of agreed with Dale. There wasn't really any place for him to go. Mm-hmm. But he said, if I'd have tried, we'd have wrecked us both. And I, I, I really wouldn't want that to happen. Right, right. But and Kenny, everybody knows him for his personality, but you know the guy was a driver. I mean, he still is a driver. Sure. And Wallace family and the Earnhardt family have a lot in common. Patriarch kids who race well, you know. I, and I think and I've seen Kenny grow up from the days of running the child's tire number ten in ASA to what he does now. You know. Along those same lines, uh, Dale Jr. talked again about his memories of that race. This time it was about four years later in two thousand six and. Uh, about never forgetting about his dad's comeback. I just thought that this was interesting as well. Being in that race and being run, I was running second, thinking I was in position to try to get me a win, and I could see him and his line formed on the outside, coming up, getting closer and closer. Every time I looked in the mirror, he'd moved up a few more feet toward us and was coming on. So everybody was sort of in a panic mode. Whoever, everybody on the bottom line was sort of in panic mode as to, oh wait a minute, now we this thing playing out like we had we had in mind. But uh, that was pretty cool. You know, he would do all kinds of stuff like that, you know, make big comebacks or great saves or just crazy passes. And everybody always said he could do a lot of things with a race car. A lot of other drivers couldn't. And he would take pride in those things personally. You know, he never would get out, jump up and down and brag about it. But, uh, you know, when it was all said and done and over with and everybody went home, he he would take pride in doing those things. And I think that comeback was one he really enjoyed. I wonder if if the thought ever crossed Dale Jr.'s mind to step out in front of that line. Probably not. (laughs) And maybe he didn't have the car to do it. Yeah, it could have been. And plus, if he's stuck on the bottom, it depends on where you catch him. But Well, his dad would have never let him win a race, so I don't think he would have done the same. Exactly. No, I meant just what must it be like to have that thought run through your head and said, no, nah, better not do that, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and again, I mean, I, I wasn't there. I, I right. wasn't inside the car with him. But it doesn't really happen in, in other sports mm-hmm. because, you know, you can't see Dan Marino playing against his son because the age difference is too Sure, too big. sure. You know, Brett Favre, maybe. <laughs> um, it has to be interesting to, you have to separate. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm running my race car, 
He's running his race car. We are enemies until the checkered flag waves. Now Dale Earnhardt had 10 wins Ten. over his career at Talladega. And Dale Jr., no slouch either. He won uh, four straight mm-hmm. and five of seven. Mm-hmm. What position did he finish in in those other two races? I believe second. Correct? Yeah. It could have been a heck of a long streak <laughs> there where nobody else had a chance. But uh, Jr. said back in 2004 that great cars were the keys to all those victories. The cars are really good. The motors are great. You know, when you mash the gas and it goes where you want it to go, that's all you can ask at a car. So um, I just uh, like driving a car. I like coming here. I think uh, my attitude has a lot to do with it, but just have a lot of fun. Well, you know, who wouldn't like to drive one of those beasts? I mean, nobody beat Dale Earnhardt, Inc. on restrictor plate tracks from about 2000 till about 2007, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they had some ungodly streak of, I have to look that up, but they had some ungodly streaks of, of, of winning restrictor plate races that, I mean, just nobody could beat them. Greg Biffle beat them at Daytona in 2003 in, the, in July. In the, in the July race, yeah. yeah. And that I think that broke that streak. But, you know, for some odd reason, whether it was aerodynamics, whether it was a combination of, of Richie Gilmore's engines, whether it was, you know... All that stuff. It was it was just amazing to watch. Junior won his fourth straight at Talladega in the uh, April race in 2003. It's a pretty big deal. I really got a lot of respect for Buddy Baker and him and I being the only guys that had won three in a row coming into this race. Uh, part of me didn't want to break the record, but it feels great. You know, I never would have imagined it. Maybe you know uh, we'll go for five next time. <laughs> and he was not sure that four straight even could be done. Yeah, I just never thought I'd do it. I coming in this weekend and I was kind of preparing for the worst, hoping for the best, basically. Like we was down in Daytona when we was winning all them races. Uh, you know, just the odds were against us to come in here and do it four times in a row, and you know, just real exciting. And Junior said his dad definitely would have approved. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> I mean, he's anything to be sitting here, he'd approved of it. <laughs> I didn't run over nobody, but uh, I'm sure he wouldn't have been upset about that either. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and really, he's right. Right, You know, because right. Dale did some pretty, um, you know, the word is ballsy, but you don't really want to say that. Some things, some really tough things to do to win races. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was all about whether you had the guts to make it stick, and he did. Yeah, yeah. It's really difficult. We mentioned the lottery a minute ago. That's exactly what a restrictor plate is, ra- yeah. race is. And you win the lottery four times in a row at the, be- at the best track or the biggest track in your sport. Yeah, but you've got to have the money to play the lottery. Exactly. And you've got to have a great car to win. Mm-hmm. And they have both. Right. Yeah. And they had, they had a program that, uh, for some odd reason, nobody else could figure out. It wasn't until the Hendrick team really started to do it that, uh, that anybody else really had a... Uh, a restrictor plate monopoly. Junior said he learned his Talladega lessons from his dad. You know, I certainly did vow on his, some of his uh, experience and some of the things I've seen him do, but uh, I couldn't devote myself to the top line like he did last year, but we, we got it in the house. Now that was uh, 2001 after he won, mm-hmm. a year after his dad won at Talladega, and uh, he won it in similar fashion. For us to do the same thing, same race a year later, and all that's happened, you know, with everything that's happened, it's just really exciting. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on, you know, or why, you know, why we're not winning just other races, why we're winning just these, but it's been exciting and really overwhelming year. He's just so dominant, so good. Right, and I think you know, a lot of that was you kind of throw yourself into work to forget what happened, mm. you know. I mean, you can't forget, God knows, but sure. but you go and you try to do the best you can for 
you know, in memory of your dad. And, and a lot of people forget that when Dale Sr. died, Dale Jr. was kind of looked at as the head of the company, mm-hmm. even though that was Teresa. Right. But, you know, Dale Jr. was the, the resident Earnhardt and, and the prince to, to Dale Sr.'s king. And, and that, you know, for his age, that had to be a pretty heavy cross to bear, I would think. With all of the Earnhardt success, they did have some really, you know, hairy situations. I mean, back in 96, in July, Dale Earnhardt was involved in a terrible wreck mm-hmm. where he cracked his sternum. Right. Yeah, we asked Dale back then, you know, what happened? Bam, it hit the wall, and then I knew it was on its side, and I knew it got spun around, then I knew it got flipped again. That's when the 33 hit it and flipped it up over him, and then it hit the ground, the 29 went by, and then boom, the uh, red flash hit me, and that was Elliot, I reckon, or whoever had the red car hit me the last time spun me around, and uh, it was over. When it stopped, I reached up, turned the battery switch off, and the I noticed I hit my hand on the mirror when I reached for the battery switch. I said, the mirror's not really supposed to be that low in this car. <laughs> and then, two, the dash was eight inches or so lower than what it was supposed to be from when the 33 hit the car. When it was on its side, it drove the dash and the top down in on the car. And, and fortunately, I was sucked down like a turtle, and it didn't get on top of me. I'm black and blue all over and got knots and bruises here and there. And you know, wonder where this come from or that come from, but. I feel good. My neck and head's in good shape. No no damage there. And hands and arms is pretty good shape. Just a couple of bruises and bumps. But the uh, collarbone's broke from the pressure of the strap, the shoulder harnesses. And I reckon the sternum's cracked, uh, busted in two from the pressure when I hit the wall. And just sitting there talking like he stubbed a toe. Yep. You know? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And what's he do the, ne- the next time he got in a race car? He won the pole at Watkins Glen. Exactly. I was there. I remember that. That was was yesterday. That was tough as nails, man. Could not believe it. Well, first off, you know, you break a collarbone in your sternum, Mm -hmm. it hurts to breathe. Sure. I've not broken a collarbone, but I had a a contusion there playing Mm -hmm. football. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do anything, much less get in a car. Now, you you heard what Dale said about the wreck, Mm -hmm. and then we asked him what it was like to be in that Talladega melee. When you get knocked sideways and you're going through the air or the car's sliding through the air and you're, you you know you're going to hit something or you see you're going to hit the wall or, or whatever's coming at you, and you just brace and you just hold on and you know it's going to hurt, you know it's going to hit hard, you know you know all heck's going to break loose, and it, and it does. But you try to stay intact. In other words, you just try to keep the, the steering wheel in grasp and yourself pushed down in the seat good and until that thing stops and everything stops around you. So a lot of people be a horrifying uh, sound and feeling, and uh, it's it's just horrendous. It's just really uh, something you know it's going to hurt, you know it's going to be a, a jolt, and, and things are going to happen. And just hope you can, uh, when it all stops and it all stops making noise, that you can just sort of clear your head and, and be able to step out of that race car and walk away. <coughs> then there was fire and there was heat, and uh, that was something that you definitely don't want but that's really the first time i've been through a crash that that had fire involved in it that uh, burnt me and burnt the, my face and neck and a little bit and my, my feet around my ankles and stuff like that but you know that that's the worst thing that worries me is the, is the fire aspect of it you never get used to it i don't care where it's at or, or what what racetrack or, or or what situation you just never get used to a crash or or, or being in a crash and uh I can bounce back from them and come on and go again. It doesn't it doesn't stop me from wanting to go in the corner or, or racing someone or anything like that. Talladega, Daytona, you still run flat out and still race them hard as you can go. Listening to that, mm-hmm. 
that gives me chills. Oh, yeah. Especially how he lost his life. Right. And, and you're sitting there thinking, yeah, okay. Uh, there was not fire involved, but he basically described the crash that he died in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, at some point, if you drive a race car, you know that can happen. Sure. And, you know, there have been many, many instances, even in current years, um, Justin Wilson, um, you know, a couple other guys, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, everything was great. They're sliding along all of a sudden, and the lights go out. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, when it's <laughs> when it's your time, it's your time, and nothing's going to stop it. But, yeah. but he, you know, one of the things that Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Dale Earnhardt Jr. behind him, they're realists. They understand that this stuff can happen. It will happen if it, you know, and if it does, then you're prepared to handle it. And, and that's what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like uh, first responder people, law enforcement officials, you know, whatever. These people know what can happen. And the fact that, that Dale knew it could happen, described it so perfectly makes me, you know, like you, it makes me kind of go. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one other thing I got listening to that. What's that? How much, I, I just realized how much Carrie Earnhardt sounds like Dale. He does. He mm-hmm. really does. Dale Jr. does not sound as much like Dale, mm-hmm. but Kerry sounds exactly like him. Dale can sound like Dale Sr. Yes. At times. You you hear it. Yeah. But you're right. Kerry does sound more like It's the like cadence, Dale. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. And I think Dale, <laughs> I think a lot of that's because Dale Jr.'s talked a lot more <laughs> than Kerry has. You talked in the, uh, the opening uh, history lesson about the drought that Dale Jr. had, and mm-hmm. uh, how long was the drought? It was 2004 to 2015, so 11 years, I think, uh, 21 races. Yeah, Dale said that was uh, very tough to take. I leave here more disappointed than I do other tracks when we when we don't win the race. I try not to get satisfied with just leading a lot of laps because I feel like, you know, the fans want to see us up front. They love to see us win the race, but they want to see us run lead every lap. You know, they get excited when we take the lead, and they, they're happy when we're up front. And they want us up front every lap. I know. I mean, I feel that. And, uh, you know, so you'll get up there and get the lead and you know you're delivering upon the promise and uh, that you're going to run hard and run good. And you just can't get satisfied, you know, because you got to, you got to, like I say, you're slowly emptying that tank, that mental tank. And you got to, you got to hope there's enough at the end to be able to do everything you need to do to make the win happen, you know, because it just, uh, it takes a lot. It's tough. I think it's tougher the older I get. But, um, you know, the cars are such a challenge now to draft with, and they used to be. Man, we had so much power, and we just driving around guys in the DEI days. Now the cars are stuck together, and everybody's all over top of each other. It's real hard to get away from people. But I felt bad that we wouldn't wreck or not run well or, you know, and late choosing to lay back, thinking that that was the right thing to do in several events here and not knowing what was – you know, coming here and not knowing what the right thing to do was after winning five races and having so much success to come here and not know what the hell to do. I mean, that felt so foreign because we'd been so confident for so many years. So I got my confidence back now. I know what I need to do, and that's run hard, uh, not not lay back and not, not worry about uh, – you know crashing out or bad points or you know i'd rather crash and not you know not finish well trying and then to be riding around the back and certainly a hard lesson to learn but i learned it that's very interesting because in 2000 nascar went to the first roof rail setup for aerodynamic drag mm-hmm. and dale jarrett flat wore him out at daytona and you know back in the day he's he, dale jr is exactly right 
you could have power. You know, they, you had a restrictor plate, but but nothing else was restricted. They didn't they didn't say you couldn't push people. They didn't say you couldn't do this. You didn't generally because you would crash people. Mm-hmm. But you you could bump and you could do this and you could you know and it got it got to the point where NASCAR kept having to clamp down on it and uh, sometimes I think unnecessarily. I'm sure I'll get a memo on that. Mm-hmm. But um, you kind of forget what the product is all about. When Dale Jr. was winning all his races, and it's not just because of that, had a big a big influence on it, but not just because, the place was packed. Mm-hmm. You could not, you know, you couldn't find a parking spot all the way out to I twenty. Um, you know, the campgrounds were full. Everybody was there screaming, yelling their fool heads off. The jail was full in the infield. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a great time. And then they start tinkering with, though, you can do this and you can't do that, and you can do this only on some occasions. And then there's a yellow line, and yada 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 yada. People stop coming. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, there is a correlation there, I'm sure. Well, Talladega, of course, the fastest super speedway in the world, and it hasn't been without its controversy, correct? That's right, and uh, and it almost didn't get off the ground. Yeah, that's true. Oddly enough, Talladega was built on an old SAC base, Strategic Air Command base, mm-hmm. uh, in um, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big military area down there with the Aniston Depot and, and all that. The track was like nothing anybody had ever seen. Daytona was huge, but this was bigger. There was a lot of talk about it was unsafe to race. The tires could not handle it. Uh-huh. And it turned out to be a boycott. The Championship Drivers Association, which got Curtis Turner uh, taken out of uh, NASCAR, mm-hmm. um, you know, pretty much. Uh, they said, nope, we're not doing this. Bill France said, yes, you are. Held the race. And uh, it, it was one of the near things in NASCAR's non-existent labor <laughs> wars with its with its competitors. So that was back in 1969. 1969. And the drivers just said, we're not racing. Right. They said, we're not racing. 60-year-old Bill France gets out and goes around in a car at 175 miles an hour saying, look, uh-huh. you know, it's safe. Go ahead. Right, right. And he pulled every car he could find out to get it, uh, to get it done. They had the race. It was not uh, the race they wanted, but it uh, turned out to work. And uh, the rest is history. Richard Brickhouse was the winner. He was. Yeah. One and only, the one-hit wonder from 1969, Richard Brickhouse. And that race in 69, that was the first race. It was. Talladega. So do you remember the top five, any of the top ten guys that were in that since most of the star drivers didn't participate? I remember Richard Brickhouse. I remember somebody finished second that I should know. Yeah, Jim Vandiver. Jim Vandiver. Okay, Jim Vandiver, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Ramo Stott was third. Mm-hmm. Bobby Isaac, fourth. Mm-hmm. And our old buddy who later worked for MRN, Dick Brooks. Dick Brooks. Rounded out the top five. Now, Dick Brooks, you get him on a big track, he would uh, he would flat ball it, you know. Tiny Lund, ninth. Mm-hmm. Cuckoo Marlin, tenth. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking down the list. Buck Baker, 18th. Richard Childress was 23rd. Richard Childress. Yes. He raced. He did. That's no, no candy butt there, huh? Yeah. So that was some of the more interesting names that, you know, stood out. Well, I tell you, you know, that that it takes some some stones to go out there when everybody else when guys like Richard Petty and the Allisons say, No, I don't want any part of that mm-hmm. to go out there and race as hard as you want, um, or as hard as you can on a track that looks like it's its own highway. You know, right. what I mean? exactly. it looks like it should be going back to Atlanta. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh no, I mean, you know, that's a different breed of racer. And today, you know, safety being what it is, you don't really have that, but but back in the day, you know, I can see those tires weren't all that wide back then either. Yeah, yeah. Well, getting back to the Earnhardts, mm-hmm. to, to wrap it up today, I have a couple of cuts that uh, you're going to find, everybody's going to find kind of fun, okay? Cool. 
asked Dale Jr. about his favorite Talladega memory. Mm-hmm. My favorite memories were when we would come here. Um, I go to Johnny Ray's house and uh, play on three wheelers all week. And we go, we get a hundred bucks. Me and Scotty Williams and Mike Wickham and Brad Means, and we'd go to the go kart track and spend a hundred bucks Friday night, Saturday night running go karts. It was a go kart track by the interstate, and um, everyone stayed at the hotel. So you'd get done on Friday and you go back to the hotel and all the crew chiefs, drivers, all the crewmen, everybody was coming back to the hotel. So you saw everybody at the hotel walking around and it was just a different time. But um, I remember talking to Flossie Johnson in the where we have the driver's meeting now. I remember talking to her one time here when I was really young. She stopped me and wanted to talk to me. I didn't know who she was till she told me. So that was pretty cool. We used to... Uh, I've told this story several times, but when the race would start, me and my buddies would sit around in the garage and wait for the wrecked cars to come in because we just liked climbing all over those wrecked cars and looking at how badly they were damaged and just we couldn't imagine the carnage was just amazing to us. And then and people would leave so much stuff laying around, like brand-new box of bubble goggles, brand-new packages of champion spark plugs or big full bottles of glass cleaner and brake clean and me and brad means would box all that stuff up and take it over to his daddy's truck <laughs> they weren't they just leave it when the race started they'd just be stuff laying everywhere and we'd we'd get it because it was just going to end up in the trash or somewhere because the garage would be completely empty and during the race and it was that old overhang garage you know it was open and uh, we didn't really watch the races we just watched when the crash cars come in we just walk around those things 40 times looking at every dent and uh, just being kids, it was so much fun coming here. This was a great racetrack to come to when I was a kid, and you can run around pretty much wherever you wanted, do whatever you wanted. That's where Jimmy Means got half of his parts. That's right, and he's probably <laughs> still got a couple of those. Maybe. That's somewhat similar to the experiences I had in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. But nobody left anything around there. I mean, that was buttoned up, and you you know, you know, pretty much had to pass a background check to get into the garage. But Right. Um, but, you know, I mean – it really is as a kid your your world is so small and then you get into a place like that and it expands so much mm-hmm. hence my stories of the snake pit back in the day mm. <laughs> that expands your mind a lot when you're 13 14 15 years old right but uh you know it's it's really cool to hear dale talk about that because you know anybody who's grown up around the sport has had that kind of feeling and and not that he's not human enough already but he's sort of you know a star he's untouchable but you know most people don't realize he's just a regular guy you know and and you know he is an icon yes but but he's still a regular guy for all that finally today junior explains why talladega is such a special place for him this was actually the first racetrack that i drove on i was racing street stocks at concord and they were testing the i think they were testing the V8. They were going from V6s to V8s in the Nationwide Series, and they were testing. Dad was down here driving it, and Dave Marcus was out here driving Dad's car, and Dad called me at the dealership. I was changing oil and uh, told me to get my helmet and my suit and be at the airport the next morning, not ask any ask any questions or tell anybody where I was going, and I didn't know where. I, I mean, I knew I was going to Talladega, but I didn't know why. I assumed I was going to drive a race car somewhere, but... Uh, we got here, and he told me to get my stuff on and get in the car and go out and run and hold it wide open, that it would it would be on a stick. But, uh, and I remember going down the back straightaway in that car wondering if it was really going to stick when I got in that corner because it just didn't seem like it was possible. But 
you know, this is a real special place. My dad won a lot of races here, and I've had the fortune of uh, being able to get to Victory Lane several times. And, you know, I think this place will just continue to de deliver year after year, long after I'm gone. And, you know, it's just such an impressive, impressive track, and I really enjoy being here. You know, he's right, because the track itself will not change. Mm -hmm. And should he win this coming weekend at Talladega, he will be in sole possession of second place in the all-time victory mark at Talladega Speedway behind his dad. Nate. I like it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool. 17 between them. And that would be, that'd be really cool. What a way to go out, right? And the state of Alabama would just lose its collective mind. <laughs> By the way, October 15th has been announced as Dale Earnhardt Jr. Day in the state of Alabama. Awesome. It's awesome. It's uh, the governor, uh, Kay Ivey, signed the paperwork and made the proclamation. She will deliver the uh, start command, start your engines command, mm -hmm. and uh, she serves as a grand marshal. Perfect. So thanks to Governor Ivy. Perfect. Awesome. Mm -hmm. We like it. Yes, we do. This week's featured segment, as always, is called Beat the Buzzer. It's very simple. We've managed to entice stock car historian Buzz McKim to join us each week for this segment. And as if that isn't enough, our listeners can win prizes, too. Yay, prizes. Buzz, welcome to Back in the Day. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. It's always a joy. When you hear the word Talladega, what's your first thought? And as a Talladega and Earnhardt. Yes. Well, yeah, they're synonymous with winning for sure. Some of the most incredible things I've ever seen on a racetrack have taken place at Talladega by an Earnhardt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, some of the craziest accidents they've been in. Uh, the time that, that uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. came from about three counties back with a handful of laps to win that race in 2000. Just amazing. I mean, there's just something there. That combination, you just can't go wrong as far as excitement. Okay, let's set this up for you. The week before each episode, we'll put out the call for Junior Nation and Dirty Mo followers to take to our Twitter accounts at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio and post with the hashtag back in the day tagged with Exalta. Of those, Buzz will represent one lucky fan in Beat the Buzzer against Stephen Ron, otherwise known as Losers. No, we're the Wiley co host. The Wiley co host, I, I like Losers. That. I yeah. really like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Wiley co-host, Stephen Ron. Sponsored by Acme, by the Sponsored way. Sponsored by yeah. Acme, yes. <laughs> Mimi. <laughs> if the buzzer gets them all right, and he usually does, one lucky fan chosen randomly from that week's submitters will win a prize from either Dirty Mo Radio or Exalta. So who are we playing for this week? We are playing for Tanya Bibis Michael. All right. Congratulations, Tanya, for being selected. Let's get to it, Steve. Let's uh, start the bloodletting with question number one. All right, here we go. Question <laughs> Number one. Which driver won the first NASCAR race at Talladega, and how many career victories did he have? Oh, you know, he's one of those fellows who is part of auto racing legend, actually. He, he came out of nowhere, won the biggest race of his career, and then disappeared. His name was Richard Brickhouse, and uh, he, he uh, had originally been scheduled to drive another car, uh, you know, like a grade B kind of car, but... Uh, all the drivers went on, well, not all, but 37 drivers went on strike because they felt the track was unsafe. The tires were chunking up and the track was waking up. So Charlie Glotzbeck was scheduled to drive the purple number 99 Dodge Daytona, which the Dodge Daytona was making its debut in that race. So uh, anyway, Glotzbeck stuck with his uh, fellow racers and, and boycotted the race. And uh, Richard Brickhouse says, hey, I'm a racer. I've got a race. This is a factory ride. He was offered the car, and he went out and won the race. In fact, the trophy that he won that day 
Uh, he just recently donated to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Really? Wow. Yep. yep. And that's the only race he ever won as far as NASCAR top songs. Do you know there was a song named after him? Really? Yeah. Oh. The Commodore oh, sang it. <laughs> brick House? She's a Brick, brick House. You forgot that one, didn't you? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Question number two. True or false? NASCAR President Bill France Sr. drove laps at speed at Talladega prior to the first race. He certainly did. What he did, he made a deal with Colin Moody. Yeah, he was almost 60 years old at the time, and he was going to show them young whippersnappers that you could drive fast on his new racetrack. So he bought uh, a Ford, uh, was, uh, I believe it was maroon and gold number 53, bought it from Holland and Moody for $1. And uh, we had, uh, when I was heading up the archive department in Daytona, we had the paperwork, the check, everything. It was great. He bought it for 1 buck. He wrote a check for a dollar? Yeah. No, he, he, he bought the car for a dollar. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay, sorry. And anyway, he bought it for a buck, and um, uh, he went out and ran hot laps, uh, about 175 miles an hour. And he said, look at this, an old man could drive out here. What's wrong with you guys? Well, he wasn't really up to racing speed because the cars were capable of nearly 200 miles an hour. But anyway, um, the guys would not relent, and they still struck. So uh, Big Bill turned the car over to Tiny Lund for the race, and uh, then he ended up selling it back to Holman and Woody for that dollar. So Big Bill and Tiny Lund drove the car. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the relief driver was the middleman. Yeah, the, the medium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't have to move the seat. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. You, uh, as is usual, two for two. Yeah, he's two for two. You're actually three for three because you answered this one already. Yeah, you gave you answered the uh, last question first without even realizing it, but that's okay. We're going to ask oh, it anyway. Oh, that's right. We're going to ask it anyway. We we may throw in we may throw a surprise uh, question in, but we'll see. All right, question number three: How many drivers withdrew or stepped out of the car prior to that 1969 race because of safety concerns? Yeah, a, a total of uh, 37 drivers actually uh, withdrew from that race. There, there was a lot of solidarity among the guys. The Professional Drivers Association had just been formed by Petty and you know a lot of the bigger name drivers, and and the guys all stuck together. They they all felt that you know the track was unsafe, the tires were unsafe, and, and it was just one of those things that uh, you know it, it just wasn't ready to race, and so uh, they went ahead and boycotted the race. The only real name driver in that race was Bobby Isaac with the new K&K Dodge Daytona. And um, you know, he, he, he ran it well. Of course, you had Tiny Lund and some of those other guys. But, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, top-of-the-line guys. And uh, he lost a lap, and he wasn't able to make it up. And, and Brickhouse went ahead and took the race. I think it was uh, a foregone conclusion that Isaac was going to win. But, uh, but Jim Vandiver finished second in Ray Fox's Dodge until the day Ray passed away a few years ago at the age of 98. He swore they won that race. <laughs> but uh, but he, he wasn't, uh, yeah, he was just driving a regular Dodge Charger. Vandiver was. He wasn't driving one of the new Dodge Daytonas. But it was interesting. And to show you, you know, the effect it had on the race, they had to stop the race every 25 laps to change the tires. And uh, also, they had 50 cars start 
the 1969 Daytona 500, most of your bigger races had, you know, 40, I don't know, anywhere from 45 to 50 cars. This race only had 36 cars in it. And the majority of them were the GT cars, the Camaros, the Cougars, things like that. In fact, that was the very first cup race that Richard Childress ever drove. He ran a little Camaro in that race. Well, he's done it again. Three for three. Three for three. Well, actually, we'll give him three and a half. Because, okay. Yeah. 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 But uh, here's the thing. I mean, you know, we we come and we try to do this, and and we we are at a disadvantage. But uh, as long as Steve and I have both been around the sport, we still learn something every week. Oh yeah, and Tanya's a winner. And Tanya's a winner. Well, yeah, yeah. Congratulations, Tanya. And uh, I'm so tickled that you know uh, I can teach a couple of old dogs new tricks. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> I haven't really mastered roll over yet. But um, I've got the hoop down. Yeah, the hoop is down. Yeah, I got the hoop. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I bet you, I bet you all beg too, right? Beg for dinner? Uh, yes, we beg. Beg for lots of things. Yeah, we beg. We beg all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Buzz, thank you again for coming on with us and teaching us and uh, uh, adding to our day for uh, you know the entertainment value alone. What's going on with you now? Well, you know, I relocated to, uh, to Daytona Beach. I have retired from the Hall of Fame. But I'm still going to be keeping my fingers in the business, you know, and if anybody needs anything written or painted or whatever, you know, yard work, windows, whatever. (laughs) I think my toilet's clogged up right now. Oh, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, lay off that Mexican food, okay? Yeah, that's right. But uh, anyway, it's it's a different life I'm kind of getting used to. But, uh, you know, thanks to folks like yourself, I'm still able to, you know, keep involved in the sport. And it, uh, it's it's always a joy to spend time with you guys and to uh, to help out our uh, listeners. All right. Thank you so much again for that. We'll, uh, we'll pick it up uh, on our next show, which happens to deal with uh, Texas Motor Speedway and Martinsville. So I'll give you, not that you need additional time to study, but we'll give you a little bit of time to uh, to do that. Wonderful. Actually, we need the time. Exactly. We're going to call you and ask you for the answers. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Back in the Day. Thanks to Buzz McKim, our resident NASCAR guru, for playing along with us again. And keep an eye on at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio for the opportunity to play along. Remember, history is made every day, so be a part of it with Back in the Day. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio. If you love Dale Jr., then Exalta Racing is your go-to social media account on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It brings you insider's info all weekend long on the 88 team. It's at Exalta Racing, a must-follow for any Dale Jr. fan.